Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some tough topics. Some days are tougher than others, and some topics are sadder than others. I have a guest with me, and I don't think her topics are sad at all. Welcome, Dr. Rhea <laughs> Owens. Thank you. Yeah, you are um, uh, uh, kind of a fascinating lady. You are, uh, excuse me, I can say this now because I'm older than dirt, but you're a young woman. And you obviously have achieved a, a level of education that most of us are hello, still aspiring to. And you've done a real a huge body of research. And one of the things that really interests me about your research is the diversity in your research. You were basically, you, you know, your area is psychology, but you're mm-hmm. interested in how to actually apply psychology. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a counseling psychologist, and um, my research interests involve really how we can apply different interventions in a way to help people and improve their lives. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that I contacted you about talking about were strengths across the lifespan. That was a research study that you did this year Mm -hmm. about developmental Mm -hmm. trajectories and individual and environmental influences. And I do want to talk about that, but as I was going through your CV, my eyes went straight to petting away pre-exam stress, the effect of dog <laughs> therapy. And yeah. as a woman who, who has PTSD and who had a service dog for many years, she passed away about a year ago. And, you know, God willing, I have a new puppy now that we're, we're hoping we can train. Um, although she's pretty feisty, I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a real warm spot for the benefit that therapy and service dogs can provide. And I think that there's kind of a little backlash. So at some point during our conversation, I want to steer you over there and get your, your, your thoughts about that. But meanwhile, let's go sure. back to the strengths across the lifespan. And as I mm-hmm. pointed out when we were starting our conversation, I'm older than dirt now, you know, I mean, <laughs> which, you know, it seems to me when I was young, old people got cut a lot of slack. I don't think old people are getting cut slack at all anymore. Maybe that's just because I'm the old person now. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what do you mean? What, what, what drew, brought you to looking at strengths across the lifespan? Yeah. Well, so um, my background, like I mentioned, is in counseling psychology, and I was trained from sort of a generalist perspective, meaning that um, working with a wide variety of people, 
Um, but I've always been really interested in working with children and adolescents. Um, and so oftentimes my research sort of goes across the lifespan, um, just sort of depending on the opportunities that present themselves or the different people that I'm collaborating with. Um, but really I'm very interested in what sort of sets people up for success early on in life and then sort of how that impacts them later in life. Um, but very often it's hard to do these um, very long-term longitudinal studies. And so the idea behind this particular study was to try to get a sense of um, individuals' perspectives on their own life um, and how essentially their strengths grew or declined over their entire lifespan. And so essentially we um, interviewed individuals that were over the age of 50 so that we could have some sort of um, more long-term perspective of what their strengths look like. So I'm just really fascinated in how um, people can, you know, better their lives and what this looks like from an early age, and then the different factors that can either promote it or negatively impact it at different points in their life. Okay. I think that's good to know. And, and what I have learned so far, uh, hopefully there's more to learn, but uh, circumstances change. Environments change. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my, my son uh, not too long ago, and I said, you know, I was taught to be a fighter. I was taught to pursue and you know, and, and get in there and call everybody I could call and appeal to everybody I could appeal to and, you know, make my case all over the place. And that used to be a really effective strategy. But the world mm -hmm. has changed. It's no longer an effective strategy. That mode of behavior is now perceived as aggressive mm. and unfriendly. And I was commenting on this to my son, and I said, you know, so... The way I've learned and the strengths that I've had throughout my life are no longer strengths. They're, mm. they're getting in my way. They're getting in my way. So when I saw your study, I thought, so it's not just the strengths that you develop as you go along. It's the world around you that changes as mm -hmm. well. Is that, yeah. did you find that? And, okay, can you explain that to me? Can they yeah, give yeah. me so, any directions on how to change it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can try. Um, yeah, so um, we sort of went into this very open-ended because in the different research I've done in the past and kind of through our literature review, what we found is that there hadn't been a study that really looked at how strengths develop over the lifespan. And so, you know, there's studies that look at different ages, you know, children, adolescents, and adults, but nothing sort of over this trajectory. And so it was really sort of wide open. And so we definitely approach it from this, like, open-ended qualitative perspective to really just try to get a sense um, without any sort of preconceived notions about what this might look like. And so what we ended up finding is that kind of through these conversations, through these interviews, that there were these internal um, elements or characteristics that um, either helped or um, sort of negatively influenced strengths, and then there were these external influences that helped or negatively influenced strengths. And so it kind of came from both the person and their environment, and depending on the person, it could either help them or hinder their strength development. And so um, there wasn't really necessarily a clean cut, this works for everyone all the time, which of course we would expect. Um, but we did see sort of some trends and things that helped people sort of on their own, sort of internally, and then these external things as well. Um, so that's sort of how we approached it was sort of very open-ended to kind of get a sense. But we did see that there were these internal things and these external things that seemed to influence strength at different points in their life. And that makes sense. That, I mean, mm -hmm. that clearly makes sense. I mean, 
we, I think sometimes we tend to think that if we're strong enough, we're bulwarks and we're that mast against the wind. But mm-hmm. the fact is the wind blows, blows the sail a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes to our dismay, sometimes to our detriment, sometimes to our benefit. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I get sick of, I get I get sick of seeing that. I, I forget whose quote it is, but you know that that doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And I'm thinking, hmm. enough of that one already. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you have that, well, and, and kind of going going back to your um, point that you mentioned earlier, we what we saw that was kind of interesting, particularly with adults, that there were some strengths that they once had earlier in their life that essentially they sort of um, described as being lost or not as helpful, kind of like what you were saying. And then equally interesting, we saw that, um, again, in adulthood, that there were strengths that people acquired later in life that they didn't always have present um, in childhood and adolescence. And so this was kind of a novel finding in that, um, again, since this hadn't been looked at over the course of a person's life, um, you know, there really wasn't any indication of whether or not, you know, strengths are consistent and remain strong throughout their life, or if we do see them ebb and flow or kind of um, what was once a, once a strength, maybe not be a strength anymore. And so that was one of the findings that I thought was particularly interesting um, to kind of see that things do change depending on circumstances and the person. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And and I think, uh, again, this is one of my constant rants along with that other previous quote, um, that, uh, you know, somehow or other we we seem to live in a culture that thinks that if we just, either try hard enough or do all the right things, eat everything that, right that we're supposed to do and exercise the way we're supposed to do, you know, that somehow or whether we can control and we can assure our lives. Mm-hmm. Did your research support that theory? Well, I think, I think in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, I think that, um, there were some factors that were sort of outside of the person's control that um, were helpful. And then at the same time for other people that were not as helpful. And so um, I think in a way, yes, in a way, no. Okay. Can you explain further? The yes. Yeah. How can can it uh, it be helpful? Well, so I think um, like one example is, Uh, the people in um, the person's life that we were interviewing. So, for example, um, one of the main external influences that came up as being um, really powerful across the board of all the people that we interviewed um, were people in different capacities. And so um, this was broken down by looking at family members and friends and peers, um, partners in their life, children, students in their lives, and kind of just other people more broadly like a coach or a coworker or someone like that. Um, But what we found is that across all the people in um, the participants' lives that we interviewed, sometimes those people were supportive and helpful, and sometimes they were not so supportive and helpful. And so in that capacity, it ended up either um, positively influencing their strength development or actually hindering their strength development. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, one of the main examples that we saw um, where also just sort of the environment that they were in. Like if they were in a a job that was particularly supportive, they found that as a way to really enhance their strengths. But if they were in sort of a, a negative work environment, um, it hindered their, their strength development. So um, I think the context and the people that um, were in these participants' lives really um, could have a really big impact on their strength development. So I, what I'm hearing you say is that sometimes we can control things, sometimes we can't. 
um, mm-hmm. that what we, what we can control depends a lot on circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would suppose timing as well. Um, so mm-hmm. so far, no big shocking news, but you substantiated mm-hmm. what I think a lot of people suspect. Um, but again, right. I go back to this notion of the culture we live in that somehow or other, I, I think we convey, you know, starting with children saying you can be whatever you want to be, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you work mm-hmm. hard enough and, and want it badly enough. But you know what? You can't. You can't. Sometimes there are circumstances in your life where you can't, you know, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to be president of the United States. That only works for one person every four years, you know, right, out, out right. of the entire country. Um, yeah. So is there, you know, a, a, a component of any kind of realism to this? And if so, does that impact our strengths, how we develop them or how we? Yeah, I think so. So um, one of the findings that we found related to sort of this internal influence um, was kind of twofold. So one of them being a positive self-view. So how the person viewed themselves and their strengths, um, as well as sort of this internal drive to develop their strengths. And so both of those factors actually um, positively influence people's strength development, but only for a handful of the participants. And so in other words, um, unlike some of the factors that could positively influence strengths and negatively influence strengths, both of these um, consistently were helpful, meaning that if you had a positive view of yourself or you were driven to use your strengths, this was always helpful to the people that we interviewed. But not everyone that we interviewed talked about these factors. So I think there's like some sort of limiting factor or essentially um, maybe some external influences that can limit that capacity. Like, for example, if someone doesn't have a very high self-esteem or if they're not even really sure what their strengths are, it's kind of hard to have this positive self-view or internal drive to improve yourself. Um, So I think there are some limiting factors and some realities that can kind of limit how, you know, strengths are used and um, promoted at the same time if they are present and recognized and, you know, someone has sort of high self-efficacy or self-esteem around their strengths, it can be really powerfully um, beneficial. Okay. Um, But when I hear the thing about the self-esteem, I think, geez, Louise, Mm -hmm. I mean, I see so many people. I remember I never watched that – television show where, what do they call it? People have talent or something, you know. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I watched it at the gym once when I was working out, and this was many years ago. And I was struck because this one woman candidate just had all the confidence in the world, and she was going to go out there, and she was just blow, going to blow their socks off, and she was so wonderful. And she got out there, and she couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't know how she got mm-hmm. on the show. And mm-hmm. I mean, it took about three seconds for them to start hitting their buttons to eliminate her. And she was so gobsmacked that they eliminate. I mean, she really, she was convinced that she was the best thing that ever hit mm-hmm. a stage. And mm-hmm. what on earth, what was wrong with these people? And I, I, uh, in, in a, I remember teaching a college class after that, and I asked the question, how important is confidence? I wrote confidence on the board. I said, how important mm-hmm. is this? And the class is universally, oh, absolutely, it's crucial. Confidence is crucial, crucial, crucial. And then I wrote the word competence. How important is this? Mm. Oh, kind of. You know, but I went, no, no, no. Mm. They go hand in hand. Mm. You know, I mean, if you're yeah. feeling confident because you're competent at something, then it's a winning combination. 
But if you're just feeling confident because you live and breathe like everybody else on the planet, I, you're, you're not, you know, I mean, I see that as a detriment. So am I just an old fart? I mean, we already established I'm no. an old fart. But. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I think um, I kind of view them as two separate things. So, uh, you know, for this particular study, what we saw to be beneficial is that they had a positive view about actual strength. So things that, you know, themselves and ah. others would identify as a strength versus sort of this misperception of what is a strength. Because certainly people can think they're maybe good at something that they're actually not. Um, and then, of course, there are folks who, are, do, who do have strengths but maybe lack the confidence to use it or um, don't mm-hmm. recognize that it is a strength unless someone else identifies it or they have some realization later. Um, so I absolutely think that, you know, some reality and self-awareness around what truly is a strength versus what isn't um, is very important. Um, but sort of having this confidence around using your strength or even knowing that it exists, I think, is really important. Um, yeah, one of the other factors that came up was um, other people identifying and recognizing the participants' strengths. And so sometimes the strengths weren't um, readily identifiable to the participants until someone else in their life pointed it out. And that's something I think that, you know, pretty commonly in day-to-day life happens um, because if you ask people sometimes, like, what are your strengths? Um, they can be very shy about it or bashful or um, have trouble sort of even identifying what those things can be. Um, just sort of how mm-hmm. society has, has influenced, you know, how we go about our day-to-day interactions. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's definitely an element of truth to, to what you're describing. And, um, but having some confidence and awareness around strengths when they're truly strengths can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also just pointed out something that's very timely in, in all the news coverage of uh, former President Bush's uh, funeral and his strengths. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the comments that I read uh, or heard uh, about him is that he always stopped, I think it was his granddaughters that were being interviewed, and they said no matter what he was doing, he paid attention to them. And she mentioned a time when they were, I don't know, young children, and he was supposed to give a big speech before Congress the next day, and yet he babysat them the night before. And hmm. she said that it, it, it didn't even occur to them that he had something more important to do. He was just so focused and there for them. And they repeated that over and over that they felt, you know, that, that he, when he was there, he focused on them and made them feel like they were everything in the world. And I've always felt that every child deserves to have somebody who thinks they're, you know, amazing. Um, yeah. And for me, for most kids, it's, you know, a, a parent or a grandparent. And, um, but when you talk about that, having a person to help you recognize that you're mm-hmm. special, that made me think mm-hmm. of that. And, and then I'm kicking myself for all the times I pushed my kids aside so I could do something else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, no, it's, well. it's funny that you should mention that. Um, so one of the main findings we, we saw is that, um, particularly with children, that family members had a big role in positively influencing strengths. Um, but that tended to um, decrease as, you know, they grew into adolescence and then, you know, wasn't really a big um, factor in adulthood. And so family members had a really big influence on a, in a positive way in childhood, but then this sort of decreased over time. But then partners um, and other people in their life sort of then became a bigger influence. Uh, but I do think, mm-hmm. you know, the people around us, particularly if they're supportive and encouraging um, and a good role model, 
um, really do matter. Yeah, I used to say we should all be raised by the Cosby's, but I had to, <laughs> we have to amend that one, don't we? Um, <laughs> remember the TV show where they, they were yeah. like these, um, no, I guess it wasn't called Cosby's, it was called something else, but, um, but the, you know, it was such an idealistic uh, environment mm-hmm. on this TV show. And of course, you know, now years later we know, but not necessarily so, but, um, you know, the, the, the notion that they were always there and always supportive was just really... You know, that that says a lot. Um, okay, let's get back to these particular strengths. What are some of the strengths yeah. that we have, and do they change during our life? We already kind of said they did, but from what – Yeah. Did, was it pretty specific enough to address that? Yeah, yeah. So um, we didn't use a particular um, – organization or categorization of strengths. There are different um, models out there that identify like specific strengths. We were more interested in just what does the person identify as their strengths, not tied to a particular organizational system. Um, But, you know, people mentioned all sorts of things like being helpful and being creative and being persistent, um, you know, being caring. So a lot of, you know, common strengths that we see in the literature came up, but we weren't necessarily interested in identifying what the specific strengths were. Um, because we only um, interviewed 10 people. And so, you know, the amount of variability we see from those 10 people about their specific strengths, we would expect to be pretty limited. But instead, we were just mm-hmm. interested in globally, you know, what do your strengths look like through different points in your life? Um, and so what we basically asked them to do was talk about what they felt was their best or strongest strength and sort of describe what that looked like in childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, and then sort of these themes or what emerged from those conversations um, and so essentially what we saw with that is their best or strongest strength was actually pretty consistently present um, throughout their entire life. Um, and so that's mm. not too surprising, um, but really the one that like was most salient at every stage of their life sort of has pretty much remained with them. Um, whereas then mm-hmm. we asked them to describe a secondary strength. Um, it could be any other strength that they thought was um, important. But we did see some variation in that. So um, that strength was pretty readily present in adulthood, but less commonly so in childhood and adolescence. So then kind of speaking that idea that not all strengths are present at every point in our life um, and that, you know, ones that maybe are really important to them in adulthood weren't always as, you know, present in an earlier point in their life. Um, Mm -hmm. So we didn't really go beyond a second strength because just talking about those two at, you know, childhood, adolescent, and adulthood took quite a bit of time to explore in, like, a lot of depth. Um, But then we did ask about, you know, the strengths that they had lost at any point in their life and strengths that they had gained. Um, And I kind of mentioned that earlier that we did see, um, you know, strengths were lost that once were maybe um, very salient in their life. Um, And usually that was lost by adulthood but then the strengths that they gained were typically gained in adulthood. Um, So I think a lot of that has to do with sort of the con. If I can interrupt here. So the Mm -hmm. strengths that were lost, and we were were talking earlier about the environmental influence of of Mm -hmm. our development. Um, Were the strengths that were lost, could you trace those to changes in the environment or was it just the maturity? Um, Well, we didn't ask that specifically um, because we didn't sort of have, you know, this hypothesis going in. We just kind of wanted to see what emerged from the data. Um, But we Mm -hmm. were able to identify what external factors negatively impacted strengths. And so the ones that came up related to that um, were, you know, other people in their life, particularly um, partners and children, um, had a negative impact in adulthood. 
um, other people. So again, this could be like a coworker. Um, we also saw their career, their job could have a negative impact in adulthood. Um, external demands, and so this could be things like financial instability, health concerns, or something that were commonly mentioned in adulthood as having a negative impact. Um, so those are the ones that were most commonly identified in adults that negatively impacted their strengths. And so we could maybe hypothesize that those were the things that caused strengths to decrease, um, but we didn't necessarily tie those things um, together. That wasn't sort of an initial question that we had. I would have thought that um, expectations would be a, a heavy uh, influencer on strengths or losing strengths. In other words, the expectations that I have of myself, am I meeting hmm. my, my expectations uh, for, what, um, for what I wanted to be or do or accomplish? Um, I don't know. I, w I would have thought that, that, you know, those expectations, those, those things that we put on ourselves yeah. might yeah. influence that. No, you, I think – You didn't see that no, I mean, intuitively, I think that makes sense, but that wasn't a theme that we saw emerge. Um, probably the closest one mm -hmm. that um, would relate to that is sort of this idea of a positive self-view, but we really didn't um, hear a lot about this sort of negative self-view. We did hear about weaknesses, so um, participants did mention weaknesses that they had and that sometimes those weaknesses could negatively impact their use and development of strengths, but it also could positively influence their strengths, meaning that if they had sort of a weakness, they would use a strength to address that or overcome that. Um, but sometimes it was to their detriment that maybe it was too much of a struggle um, that ended up sort of negatively impacting their strength. But yeah, we didn't, we mm -hmm. didn't hear much about expectations, but we didn't, again, specifically ask about that. Hmm. Okay, well, you know, proving once again, I'm an oddball, I guess. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I know for myself, you know, I mean, a lot of times, I, I, you know, how I think I performed, um, uh, did um, accomplish, you know, it, it, it does mm -hmm. impact my self-esteem and my self-esteem mm -hmm. impact, you know, maybe it has to do with using those strengths. Maybe if you don't use those strengths, consist they become negatively impacted. Did that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we... Yes, yes, we definitely saw that. So essentially what um, a lot of the participants described is that basically by not using a strength that they knew they had, and that was one really prominent in their life, that that was a big factor on why they could very clearly see it decrease or diminish over time. Um, and so sometimes it had to do with sort of like their work context, like they weren't um, readily able to use that strength or kind of had um, skills they had to use that were counterproductive to that particular strength. Um, and again, sort of other people in their life having these other demands um, sort of impacted their strength. So like, for example, parents would talk about how, you know, caring for their kids, which is very important to them, um, didn't allow them to use some of the strengths that they once had. And so then they decreased over time. So that was an, an example mm -hmm. that had come up as an example. I would think, you, I would think that um, caring for children because you're, you're so – involved in doing things that will set a good example for them um, that mm -hmm. I can see where it would road, you know, for example, um, you know, for me, I, you know, being a, a fighter, I mean, obviously not a physical fighter, but, you know, I, 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 mm -hmm. a, a campaigner, if you will, a, a bulldog, if you will, I didn't want my kids to necessarily pick that up. I wanted them to have a little bit of it, you know, so that mm -hmm. they could 
advocate for themselves and whatever and, and solve problems. But I didn't want them to have to have and hmm, that's interesting. Um, I didn't want them to have to have it to the intensity that I had to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I purposely tempered that around my children. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, yeah. So I could see, so, and if you purposely temper it over and over and for a long enough time, I could see where that, that skill would diminish a little bit. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Did you see any particular, I mean, you already talked about the influence of the people around us, but I'm particularly mm-hmm. interested in parent-child or friend-friend. Did you see anything yeah. that was remarkable about the difference between the people around us and our strengths, either increasing or diminishing? Yeah, so um, I can talk a little bit about that. So with family, I mentioned earlier that they had a really big influence um, with children. And so the most common example that came up was certainly parents. Um, but then this sort of dropped um, significantly in the adolescent period. So family had a much um, lesser impact during that stage. But not surprisingly, that's where friends and peers um, had a significant increase in um, its presence. Um, and then in adulthood, that's where sort of partners and coworkers played a bigger role. Um, and so I think sort of depending on, you know, the stage in your life and the people you're most surrounded by, that tended to have the biggest influence on the development of the strengths. And again, with all the people, it was either a positive influence or a negative influence, depending on how, like, supportive or helpful um, the people were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that old adage about, you know, if you want to be successful, pick good parents and pick good friends, you know, that, that kind of holds <laughs> true, I guess, when it comes mm-hmm. to the strengths, too. Um, did you find anything that surprised you deeply in this study? Hmm, that's a good question. Surprised me. Well, not too, <laughs> too much, but I think, I think, well, going back to the family, I think I was surprised to see such a dip, even, you know, going back into adulthood because sometimes you know that's where you sort of like you know reconnect with family or that becomes maybe more important once um, children start to develop their own families so I was a little surprised not to see that come back after adolescence so that was one that kind of stood out to me Um, it wasn't so much a surprise but I was really happy to see that the best and strongest strengths kind of stuck with people throughout their life Um, I think that sort of speaks to the importance of really nurturing it throughout a person's lifespan. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but I was really glad to sort of see that supported um, as a way to kind of think about how we develop um, strength interventions. Um, mm-hmm. I guess probably the other biggest surprise is how much I saw um, these variables be both a benefit and a detriment to strength. I guess I was expecting maybe to see a little bit more of a a split between some of these as opposed to, like, for example, the children being a positive and a negative impact on strength. That kind of jumped out at me, too. But, again, if you think about it, it's like, okay, that makes sense if you're not using your strength so much or other things are pulling you away. Um, So those are probably the things that kind of stood out to me most. But, um, yeah. Well, plus, you get tired. You know, raising mm-hmm. kids or working, you mentioned uh, one of the factors that diminishes, tends to diminish uh, strengths, our uh, career and job and all that. I mean, if you're working somewhere where you're, you're not particularly happy, I mean, 
you know, this notion that we're all going to be ecstatic with our careers and we can't pick a job mm-hmm. until we're, we find the one where we're absolutely ecstatic is a joke to me um, because there's always going to be good things and bad things, you know. Uh, but if you're in a, a job that's predominantly the bad stuff for you, uh, if you're raising a family, if, you, if those things are fatiguing. They can make you very tired. Mm-hmm. And it takes energy to utilize your strengths, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think... You know, some strengths, you know, kind of can put you in a flow state and you kind of feel like elated and excited. But at the same time, um, one of the benefits of strengths is that they can really push you and challenge you, um, particularly if you use them to address, you know, different challenges or difficult situations. Um, so, yeah, I think kind of the, the context in which you're using them can certainly be more straining or less straining. So sometimes it can be really energizing, but sometimes it may drain you if you're using it to kind of overcome a barrier or a challenge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you're talking about are, you know, the strengths in general, and I know you didn't go into specifically analyzing the types of strengths, but mm-hmm. did you see in your study anything that would indicate that, um, that people choose to develop strengths or, you know, do anything to, yeah, did you see anything where people identify where they need to uh, increase strengths and and do something about that? Or is that just off a left field here? No, no, I think, yeah, there definitely was a little bit of that. So one of the internal influences that we saw that um, was beneficial or helpful to developing strengths was what we called an internal drive. Um, But in particular, this was specifically um, what we identified was to use and develop their strengths. So essentially they had an internal drive to put those strengths into action. And by doing so, they helped increase those strengths or um, develop them further. And so we didn't see this across a, a large number of participants, but there was a handful um, that did um, identify this as a way to, you know, benefit themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you think that people are clear in their minds about developing strengths? You know, do people say, gee, I need to be Mm -hmm. more, you know, aggressive or or I guess that's not the appropriate term, but more uh, out there. I have to be more uh, social, okay? And so do they identify strengths and say, this one I'm going to develop, or do they just kind of happen because I have to do this in my life? And so therefore... yeah. I just automatically developed this particular strength without even thinking about it a whole lot. That's a great question. So I think this is, this is my opinion, but I think generally speaking, um, we have a lot of work to do in this area and that I don't think people sort of intention very commonly, not all people. I don't, I think they don't necessarily intentionally, um, you know, identify their strengths and think think of ways that they can improve their strengths or put them into action in a way that will benefit them. I do think with sort of the, the movement in positive psychology and the research that's coming out in this area is becoming a little bit more mainstream, and there certainly are books out there and different resources um, and interventions that have been developed that help folks do this, but I don't think they sort of reach the masses, and um, I think often people tend to sort of more naturally focus on their weaknesses and um, can sometimes dwell over those weaknesses. Um, and so I think that this is definitely an area that could use some intentionality and, and greater effort. Um, and that I think kind of like what you mentioned, I think folks kind of tend to go about their day-to-day life and use their strengths 
but maybe not be aware of it or maybe aren't doing it intentionally, um, when if they do, it tends to have a wide variety of benefits um, to their day-to-day -day life. Um, but I don't think it's something that sort of um, is intentional. It maybe happens naturally, but it may not be intentional a lot of the time, but not for everybody. Yeah. Are there any particular points in life where people tended to identify their strengths as being more prominent than others? Um, well, so um, we, we mainly talked well, about their two... Let me preface this by saying, um, is what was the youngest? You, you mentioned that you particularly went, um, you sought out people over 50 to include in the survey, but uh, what was the youngest, 18? No, so um, they were all 50 years or older. So the range of folks oh, we had were 50 to 63 years old, um, but we asked them to reflect on different points in their life as a way to have the same person thinking about essentially their lifespan trajectory. And so certainly a limitation of this study is that it's definitely dependent on folks' memories, um, but we sort of framed yeah. it as, you know, tell us, you know, identify one of your strengths and then tell us what that looked like when you were a child. Tell us what that looked like when you're an adolescent. Tell us what that looked like in adulthood. And so we really didn't um, direct them anyway. We just sort of had them tell us about different stories about when they used their strengths and things that helped their strengths and things that hindered their strengths. Um, and so then we could kind of see different factors without sort of leading them in any way. Um, but people were going way back. I think the youngest story um, was as young as two years old. Um, but a lot of them were kind of more like early elementary when, you know, memories are a little bit more easy to remember. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So we definitely had them comment on when they were younger. Yeah, you mm -hmm. got to be careful of that stuff. As you mentioned, you know, that can be a real liability because I can tell you, you know, first person here, my, my history has changed dramatically. <laughs> as I've mm -hmm. aged, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I look at different things and interpret it differently. Um, I, yes, embellish some of it to make a better story, uh, you know. Um, so, yeah, things things can change, you know. Absolutely. As, as you, you know. So, I mean, not that I'm to not totally 100, 1,000% accurate in my memories. I am. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but I, no, I, definitely you know. that is – that is definitely an important consideration, and it would be fabulous to sort of track people over a really lengthy period of time um, to see truly how these things ebb and flow, um, you know, more from a quantitative perspective. So, yeah. I think it would be interesting, you know, because really, seriously, you know, that whole energy level thing, I mean, at different periods in our lives, um, I always say, it, it, you know, don't, don't be afraid of getting older because I have never had so much energy. I've never had, you know, so much um, focus. I mean, as a matter of fact, my son came to me not too long ago and said, Mom, I'm very concerned about you. And there's nothing like an adult child coming to you with their concerns about you, you know, to make you go, uh-huh. And uh, I said, why, why is that? And he said, well, mm -hmm. he said, you're just going here, going there, doing this, doing that. And he said, you are just so active and I think that you have adult onset ADHD and I said well I appreciate your concern first of all I'm not convinced that there is such a diagnosis as adult onset ADHD but perhaps and uh, I said but you know what it is is I said 
remember when we were, you were little and we went to Disneyland? Yeah, I, I remember that. He said, and I said, well, remember we had a wonderful time. We had lunch with Mickey and Minnie, and we went on this ride and that ride. But then all of a sudden, we realized Disneyland's going to close in an hour. And we haven't done Magic Mountain, and everybody wants to do Magic. So we raced. We raced over to Magic Mountain. We got on that ride, and then we still had a few minutes left. So we raced over because we hadn't done the teacups, and we had to do that. So we just raced, raced, raced to get in all the stuff before Disneyland closed. And I pointed to my chest, and I said, Disneyland's closing. And I want to make sure I get on Magic Mountain before it closes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. So it's not so much uh, you know, an attention disorder as it is, you know, I've ramped up my energy. Because there are things mm-hmm. I want to do and accomplish. Um, and, and I had a serious illness uh, a year or so ago, so that made me even more aware of it. And, you know, I, I think that my priorities, my energy level, my, uh, not so much my interests, um, have just expanded as I've aged. Mm-hmm. Although I have yeah. plenty of people that kind of like fold in like flowers as they're, as they're getting older. Did you see any big differences between people the, uh, as to, you know, I mean, we're, I, I think it would be fascinating to find out, you know, is there, were there like two groups of people Did it shake down to be, you know, these people's strengths were growing as they got older or expanding, maybe not necessarily each individual strength, but the, the number of strengths that they had or, um, as opposed to those for whom the strengths were diminishing, did did it shake down that way at all? No, we didn't do um, any group differences because it was more um, qualitative thematic analyses. Um, but I would say, generally speaking, um, folks who had strengths that increased also had strengths that decreased and vice versa. And so I would say it wasn't necessarily like there was a certain set of people that had strengths that grew and then another set that had strengths that declined. It was more about how frequent um, they were using them and the context they were in that allowed them to use them that really influenced whether they grew or declined. Mm, Okay. Okay. So did you, uh, in looking at your data, did you, um, what, what are you, what are you going to do in the future with this data? Cause you know, you could, well, wait a minute. You, you did a qualitative, not a quantitative study, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, well, some some ideas that have sort of sparked from this. Um, again, I'm I'm really interested in applied research and um, really enjoy sort of intervention-based research. And so I think a lot of the information we got from this study can really inform how we go about developing those interventions. So as far as like having um, supportive individuals and supportive environments, and you know, trying to promote awareness um, around individual strengths. So. Um, coming up with um, some interventions designed to um, target strengths early in life and kind of like early intervention type prevention type programs um, is something that I'd be interested in developing in the years to come. Um, Mm -hmm. We're also working on a review right now of all the positive psychological interventions for children to see kind of what's available out there and we're um, classifying them into school-based interventions um, clinically-based interventions, and then there's kind of a handful that fall into um, an other category that aren't necessarily school-based or clinically-based, really just to kind of get a sense of what's out there, because in the positive psychology literature, there's a lot more um, research on adult interventions, and so really just trying to get a sense of what's out there, and then I'm specifically interested in the, the strength-based interventions, so from this bigger review that we're doing, I'll kind of focus in on the strength ones to see what's been done, and then 
um, take some of the ideas um, and information we've learned from this qualitative study and then have that inform how we actually develop um, these interventions for kids. It would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be very interesting. I, I also think it would be interesting if you also looked at uh, particularly the types of strengths uh, mm -hmm. that were developed. So you know, just my little two cents worth for the next study, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, no, that would be great. Well, and I also, I think this is a fascinating topic um, because, um, you know, I mean, obviously we all need to develop our strengths. I think we need to put it in perspective to develop our appropriate strengths. Um, but did you also encounter anything? Did you ask any questions about um, trauma in, in lives? Um, because I think that oh. a lot of times trauma helps us develop strengths that we never knew we had or it crushes us. Did you ask questions specifically related to trauma? No, no, we didn't ask specifically about trauma. Um, it was really meant to be a very global, non-directive um, interview. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we spent a lot of time, you know, asking them to describe what their strengths were and um, different times that they used it and what it looked like at these different developmental periods. Um, and really just trying to get a lot of different examples um, so that we weren't necessarily directing, um, you know, what their answers would be. Um, sure. But yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't ask about any sort of specific challenge or trauma in particular. It was just very global, um, given that it was the first study that looked at sort of this trajectory of strength over the lifespan. Yeah. It'd be really fascinating, too. Of course, you know, you can't keep, you know, you get, you get all these questions. You can only do so many things in one particular study. But um, mm -hmm. it would be interesting, as you said, to, to look at the types of strengths. Um, you know, that, that people develop and, and what types of strengths change uh, over the life. Yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah, and, there's been and I, several. And, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, yeah, there's been several more like cross-sectional studies where they've um, like given, for example, the values in action inventory or the VIA um, and then the, the Clifton Strengths Finder to just sort of get a general sense of what people's strengths are using a particular tool. Um, but, yeah, none of those have looked at, you know, if they had the same person and they took the measure at different points in their life, what that would look like. But, yeah, I think that would be really interesting to see, um, you know, if some are more present or less present based on a particular tool and looking at the specific strengths. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, let me know when you have the next study. I, I'll be fascinated yeah. by that. Meanwhile, yeah. I want to talk dogs. Uh, so tell yeah. me about your study about uh, therapy. Now, it was therapy dogs or comfort dogs that you looked at as far as uh, with students and uh, yeah. stress in school? What, tell me about that study. Yeah. So um, I wasn't the lead author on this one, but I, I definitely had a role in, um, you know, implementing the study and helping out with the study. Um, but essentially what this entailed was um, we were interested to see if, what – a brief therapy dog session, its impact on um, students would be. These were college students. Um, and um, basically we had them do, they came and visited with the dogs in a group setting for uh, about 30 minutes. And we had them do um, some very brief questionnaires right before they interacted with the dogs and then um, right after they interacted with the dogs, so a very brief um, survey. And then we also had a control group as well as this intervention group take questionnaires um, at two different time points to see um, the benefits of the, the therapy dog session. And so the goal was basically to hopefully decrease their stress around, it was midterm season, 
Um, and then, of course, mm -hmm. I was interested in its impact on overall well-being. Um, and so um, basically what we saw is that uh, after doing this very brief therapy dog session, their um, stress decreased, their happiness increased, and their energy levels increased. And then um, this more long-term um, survey that we had compared to a control group, they saw a decrease in negative affect. Um, we saw an increase in their perceived social support. So even though these were dogs, they viewed it more support from other people around them, um, as well as decreased perceived stress. So both like right, right after the intervention and then um, within um, following the intervention, I believe it was 24 hours after we had them do the therapy dog session, they reported significantly um, less stress and increased support and decreased negative affect compared to a control group. So yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun study. Um, actually, uh, I have a dog who's a therapy dog and so um, not only did I help with um, the study, um, I also participated in the therapy dog sessions where the college students came and pet my dog and spent some time with him, and it was just really a very, very fun study. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I had a, a service dog for 11 years, actually, and before hmm. she passed away, and uh, that was a year ago. And so now I, I just got a new puppy two months ago, so we're, we're doing the classes and the trainings and starting all of that. And, of course, you don't, you don't ever know uh, from the beginning. I, I always pick a breed that I'm pretty sure will suit the needs. Mm -hmm. I, I pick new ones, and they're pretty they're – pretty, um, um, their their breed characteristics are pretty consistent with what I need, but uh -huh. you never know for sure you know, on a particular dog. Right. And um, so I'm I'm very hopeful that she will turn out to be the kind of um, service dog that her predecessor was. But yeah. Over the course of the years, with that dog going with me, of course, therapy dogs can't go everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. Service dogs service dogs can. Mm -hmm. And um, in my 11 years with with a service dog, I would say overwhelmingly the response of people, I, I worked in a building where there were 5,000 people, right? And you had two banks of elevators. And as I would be moving between one bank of elevators and the others, you would, you would see people come around the corner and they would see the dog and they would just smile. They would just smile. Yeah. Right. They really say anything. And, you know, some people, of course, wanted to talk and some people wanted to pet the dog, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there was just a, a smile. Uh, when I'd mm -hmm. go to the gym, I used to tease them at the gym and say, you know what, you guys should put me on staff here just to be bringing the dog. Because people will go past this dog with frowns on their faces. And as soon as they look up and see the dog, the frown goes away. You can tell their blood pressure right. is just going down. You know? um, right. However, that being said. I had my fair share of people who were outraged that I was bringing a oh, dog, wow. even a service dog, into a public place. Um, because my disability is invisible, I even mm. had people look at me and, and they'd say something about, well, I didn't, you know, I, uh, one case I remember at the gym, this woman said, well, I didn't know we were allowed to bring our pets to the gym. She was just so disgusted. Mm. And I said, well, she's a service dog. And this woman looked me up and down like a teenage boy looking at a, at, at a girly picture and said, yeah, and you need a service dog. Oh, and I thought, you that's really surprising. 
You don't know if I'm diabetic. You don't know if I have seizures. You don't know anything about Mm me. How Mm -hmm. ignorant. How ignorant. But I did. I encountered that a lot in, in the building that I worked in. Suddenly, my studio was not being cleaned. Well, it wow. turns out that they had hired a new cleaning person who was religiously, you know, uh, uh, objected to dogs. So I just called them and I said, well, hello, there's two service dogs in this building. If you've got somebody that objects to the dogs, put them on a different floor. You've got 78 floors, you know. I mean, how hard is mm-hmm. it? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I did have my, my fair share. Did you find with the therapy dogs, I mean, did you put out word that it was a therapy dog uh, thing or or did you find that some people you only got applicants who liked the idea of dogs or did you uh, how did that work did you find anybody who really yeah. objected to the whole idea of doing a job a dog yeah so we recruited from um, college classrooms because it was meant to be around midterm um, stress um, and so definitely all the students whether they were in the intervention group or the control group um, were informed of um, this involving dogs um, because certainly there are people who have, you know, they're fearful of dogs or scared of dogs or had some sort of negative interaction with dogs in their past. And so um, we definitely wanted to make sure to control for that. Um, so that, yeah, that was readily advertised. And um, even, even during the sessions, um, there were some students who were a little more hesitant, but you could tell that they wanted to interact with the dogs and um, you know, wanted to put themselves out there, but there were some that were a little bit more hesitant. But when uh, most of them, I would say the large majority, were very, very excited and happy um, because, of course, um, most college students, unless they have a service dog, can't have a dog um, in the residence halls um, or maybe in their apartment sometimes, sometimes not. So they were just really thrilled to, to have this interaction. So, yeah, it was generally well-received, but certainly I imagine there were probably folks who declined participating in the study if they were opposed to or had some fear related to dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be interesting. I th- Well, see, here I am. You know, I, they should, universities should just put me on retainer to come up with ideas for research. They really should do this. <laughs> put me on the payroll. I'll come up with an idea. But I, it would be interesting to combine the strengths with an association with a dog hmm. throughout life. You know, yeah. I, I, if, you know, just having a dog, because one of the things that I noticed when I was uh, having my service dog and I was going everywhere, um, I was less reluctant to go places. I mm-hmm. felt more confident when I was going places, not hugely, but somewhat, um, because my dog was there with me. You know, yeah. Um, so I yeah. think it would be, yeah. So okay. So see the next one. Just combine the two studies. You know, combine the dog yeah. with the strength. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that would be super fun. <laughs> yeah. Of course you would. I'll volunteer my dog. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it next week. You, you go get the funding. Let's let's do it next month. <laughs> right. Well, um, we talked about what you want to do with the strengths, but are there other areas uh, of study that you want to move into as you continue um, searching ways to bring clinical psychology into kind of practical everyday applications? Um, well, I mean, I'm always thinking of new ideas, but I think um, really where I see myself heading in the, the near future here is more intervention-based work around how do we use strengths with kids um, to promote their, their everyday success and well-being. Um, 
So I would like to do, there really are so very few interventions with kids. Um, and so uh, right now at my current institution, we have an in-house clinic. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said that's because of the IRB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we have an in-house clinic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have an in-house clinic where we um, see clients from the community, and so I'd really like to move um, some of my research more in the direction of clinically based interventions um, as opposed to sort of more broad interventions to see um, some of the impacts specifically with kids, because I think we have very, very few of those studies out there. Um, so that's probably where I see myself heading is some process outcome research related to kids um, in therapy, um, focusing on positive psychological interventions, particularly focusing on strengths and well-being. Okay. And this thought is way from left field, but I was on a plane recently and I saw the Mr. Rogers movie, the documentary. You know, I, I think they call it. I've heard about it. Yeah, amazing. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I yeah. would love to see that. And really early in our conversation when we were talking about strengths and, and uh, you know, the, the, having a significant adult in your life as a child. And boy, this guy, that, you know, I kind of started watching the movie thinking, okay, you know, what are they going to do to drag him into the dirt here? What, what big scandal are they going to unearth? None. There's no scandals. This was a genuinely nice guy who did good work in his life, you know, and Mm -hmm. he really felt that each child should have someone in their lives that thinks they're special. Yeah. Not the whole yeah, world, I've done, but somebody. Yeah, yeah, I've done some research involving mentors um, with youth and children, and that's just something that is, I think, really, really powerful and important um, is just having someone to support you and encourage you and be a good role model. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got to put it in perspective. I mean, who was it that said, of mm-hmm. course you're special, just like everybody else? You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't see that as a negative thing. It's like, yes, you are special, but you're not like, you know, I mean, you got to keep it in perspective. You know, you're, you're not right. The, right. The, the singer who couldn't carry a tune who thinks she should be taking the music industry by storm. You know, I mean, you got to mm-hmm. you got to find that balance. I guess that's true with everything. Well, Rhea, thank you so much. And I was neg- uh, neglected to mention what university you're affiliated with right now. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm at the University of North Dakota. Okay, terrific. And if we, people want to access their study, I mean, you can access these studies just through Google. And mm-hmm. the study that, let me click on my computer here so I can speak knowledgeably about the two studies of yours that we talked about. Um, the one that we talked about was Strengths Across the Lifespan. And if you just Google Owens and then comma Strengths Across the Lifespan, Um, you will find that on Google or Google Scholar. I don't know if they even separate Google Scholar anymore. And it's called Strengths Across the Lifespan, Developmental Trajectories, and Individual and Environmental Influences. And it was originally published this year in Translational Issues in Psychological Science. So, Rhea Owens, thank you very much for being with us. Love talking about you. Thank you so much for having me. And your findings. Uh, Keep us informed on the, the next studies that you're doing because we always like to to hash those over. And thank you folks for listening to another episode of Three Women, Three Ways. We'll be back next week.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.